0: You don't have to be perfect. And I think that's our training. Our training is not like, hey, you need to know the nuances of of harassment or the nuances of what constitutes the matter reporter situation, what constitutes abuse or something like that. You have to know exactly what it is because you're the one who's going to have to defend this in court or whatever it is. It's more like, hey, you know what? You have to do this. The law says if you see this going on, you have to do something. Welcome to the Innovation and in Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox.
1: Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode. And I'm thrilled to have back with me today, Ivy Singer. Ivy is with showed Me. We had the chance to visit earlier this year about his company and the service and product offerings they have in the compliance space, and I asked if he'd come back. And he said, sure, because we want to take a little bit deeper dive into some of the issues that he either counsels his clients on, or more importantly, things they bring to him. So Avi, with that incredibly long-winded introduction, first of all, welcome back.
0: Thank you so much, Tom. I had a great time last time and thrilled that we're able to do this again. So thank you so much for having me back.
1: So compliance training is one of the most ubiquitous topics in every form of compliance there is. And yet, as low-hanging fruit it is, as recently as last Thursday at a compliance conference, someone talked to me about training engagement. So I really wanted to explore that with you because it's one thing to get somebody to take an online course and either take a test afterwards or check that they've done it. But the regulators and the compliance profession wants to move past that. So with that kind of broad topic, how do you help council clients or maybe even how to showed me start with a product that engages customers to have their employees take your training?
0: That's a great question and something that we deal with a lot. And, and I really sort of appreciate that nuance that you brought up there that we're seeing a lot in, in some of the new regulations, which is that those departments, those government departments, whether they're federal, state, um, sometimes even city departments, are looking to measure comprehension. You know, you and I have talked about the, the sort of the checkbox that always seems to be prevalent when it comes to compliance training, but more and more we seeing in the requirements. What are the ways that you will be able to know or you'll be able to tell that the participant in this training has actually learned the materials and understands the materials? And for the most part in healthcare, one of the easier things that we can say is, well, everything has a quiz. So every course that we offer is going to have a quiz at the end of it. And therefore, in order for someone to be able to complete the course, receive their certificate, whatever the requirement is, they're going to have to pass that quiz, which means they're going to have to actually listen to the materials and read the materials. But it's not that simple. It's not as simple as just saying, well, there's going to be a quiz, therefore, they're going to have to do it. Now you also want to create a course that's going to have people want to actually watch it. So when they get to that quiz, just say, yeah, well, yeah, I know those answers. You don't want people to have to go back later and say, "Yeah, I didn't really pay attention. And Therefore I don't really know the answers to quiz questions. You want people like to your point, who are going to be engaged, who are actually going to participate, or going to interact, do whatever they need to do so that when that quiz is there at the end, and we have to show that they actually learn something, they're able to do it relatively easily.
1: There's a second part of engagement, and you actually alluded to that, is that using that information going forward, and equally interesting to me is if people are taking courses and they're struggling with certain components or certain questions, that's information. Are you mm-hmm. able to capture that information and help your clients understand we need a little more targeted training or we need some additional training or that type of information that every compliance practitioner can utilize?
0: Absolutely. So our approach to compliance training is not just, you know, as we mentioned before, the checkbox. It's you take a step back and understand that typically when the government requires compliance training, it's because self-governance hasn't worked. So yes, in an ideal world, work environments are ensuring that everyone's treated fairly. There's diversity, there's equality, there's no harassment going on. People are understanding the different races and ethnicities and, and backgrounds and sensitivities. But that doesn't happen, actually. And therefore, governments have to come in place and say, you know what, we have to make sure that people are actually being trained on these topics and that we don't go with the assumption that they sort of know this intuitively or companies are, are acting and are training their employees out of their own desire or best practice. And therefore, that's where compliance training comes from. It's the government saying, hey, we've got to step in here. We've got to make sure everyone's creating a level playing field for ensuring that that certain protections are put in place. And we take that seriously. So we're saying, hey, if the New York state decides or California decides or New Jersey decides that this is an important topic, that employees in a workplace need to be aware of harassment, what constitutes harassment, or sensitive to gender sensitivities or things like that, Then we take that seriously and we say, let's make sure that our training is going to educate people who let's assume know nothing about the topic, right? Let's assume that they don't know that diversity is important. Let's assume they don't know what harassment is, right? And we need to be really really basic with them. And to the second part of your question, how do we know if that's working or not? Yeah, we actually do look at tens of thousands of quiz responses. And what are the questions people are getting stuck on? What are the areas where somebody may have had to attempt it two, three, four times, right? And we say, okay, you know what? It's not about changing the quiz question, make it easier going back to that education piece in the course and saying, why didn't they understand this the first time? Why was bystander intervention something that was just very difficult to understand what they're supposed to do if they witnessed something happening in the workplace? Therefore, we need to go back and adjust our training, make sure it's much more easy to comprehend. And then again, we'll go back and study and say, hey, are people now able to pass those quizzes a little more easily?
1: Let me just pick up on that last point because I can't pass it up and that's bystander training. I think in almost every corporation, they understand we have to have a hotline. We have to have an internal reporting mechanism and we have to give that reporter a safe place to do that. But let's turn to bystanders because Me Too taught me or showed to me that it's not simply to train, don't harass. It's not simply to train someone who is harassed how to report. It's if I see it, I have to say something about it. And that bystander training has become an incredibly important part of a anti discrimination, anti harassment program. Do you find that your clients understand that the bystander has become almost as important as the initial reporter?
0: Absolutely. And therefore, we have a very, very targeted training focused on that, not dissimilar to training that we've done in the past on a concept called mandated reporter, which is that if you are in certain positions, in certain roles, as a health professional, as a teacher, and you see something, you know, it's the old see something, you say something. And no one's comfortable with that. I don't think anyone's comfortable with this idea of, I need to proactively do something. And we always think of a lot of compliance training as what not to do. And bystander intervention, mandated reporter, or some of these other things, uh, whistleblower training, or things like that, are actually the opposite, right? We have to train people on how to do something. And you have to be super sensitive around that because nobody wants to get it wrong. I think people, Ideally, I'm hoping people in a situation of bystander intervention or mandated reporter, they actually want to do something, they want to be active, they want to follow the right protocols, but you need to be crystal clear. And that's where training has to be very, very nuanced and very clear and very subtle in terms of what are the steps you need to take now that you've witnessed something and you realize I'm a manager, I'm in a role that requires me to say something, what are those steps I need to take? And our hope is that, yeah, you know, at the end of the training, people will know, okay, if I see something, I won't ignore it. I won't pretend I didn't see it. I need to step in and do something. And I know exactly how to go about it. Those trainings are incredibly important and and certainly something we spend a lot of time on making sure that our audience is going to understand exactly what to do.
1: You talked about the mandated reporter, and I want to use the term gatekeeper, those who have either a higher responsibility or because of their job function are deemed to need additional training. Any companies with struggle with, okay, I've got the basic training, Ivy, but how do I determine on a risk basis those that might need additional, more focused training, additional training, or, or something else? Are you able to help clients understand those either individual or classes of employees who may need a more focused training?
0: Yes and no. You know, I think at the same time, you know, I don't think our goal is to have everyone become professionals in these areas. I think our goal really is number one, recognize that there's an issue here recognize that this is not acceptable, or, or there's something off here, something seems out of place. And then the second step is know where to go. So it's not that you're going to resolve this, you know, our, you know, mandated reporter by center invention, those trainings are not about how you resolve those issues. It's recognize those issues and know what to do with them at that time. That's our goal, really. Our goal is ideally an organization is going to have an HR person, legal representative, someone who you can go to in those situations. So you don't have to be perfect. And I think that's our training. Our training is not like, hey, you need to know the nuances of harassment or the nuances of what constitutes the matter reporter situation or what constitutes abuse or something like that. You have to know exactly what it is because you're the one who's going to have to defend this in court or whatever it is. It's more like, hey, you know what? You have to do this. The law says if you see this going on, you have to do something, but you don't have to be 100% accurate. You don't have to be 100% correct. You can go have a conversation with somebody and say, this is what I witnessed going on, whether it was a lot of times it's online. I noticed this conversation happening in Slack. I think somebody was uncomfortable with the online conversation. Or perhaps I witnessed something else or whatever it might be and say, I I want to talk to you about it because I think I'm responsible. And then there has to be that responsible party. I think that's a big thing that a lot of states have started to realize is that you've got to identify that person. Who do I go to talk to? And that's part of our training that we have to actually customize per organization is who do I go talk to if I think I've witnessed something or I've identified something that needs to be addressed.
1: This is great. (laughs) Let me pick up on yet another point you just raised. And I want to use it in the context of pronoun training and how some people want to be characterized a certain way, and they may be uncomfortable if they're characterized in a different way on a Slack channel or a Zoom call or some other mechanism, and say I use the wrong pronoun, and I do offend someone, how can that training facilitate getting that message to the right person? And then the remedial step of coming back and counseling me or taking me aside, however that remedial step might take form.
0: Yeah. That's a great question. I don't know that I have the perfect answer for that, because I think, again, it assumes that organizations internally, again, that those people who, whether they work in human resources or, or the legal department, are being properly trained on how to address it. And when I say address it, address all the components of it. So number one, making sure you have policies in place that make it safe for people to ask and want to be addressed by the pronouns that they prefer. I think you also need to have people who are, understand that there are some people just, again, just by, I wouldn't even say the a preference on their side, they just might not be used to it. And identifying, like, is this something you're not used to, so you're not comfortable with, or is this something where you actually have an issue with it? And therefore, again, I think there's a whole nother set of requirements that we have when it comes to now a lot of these compliance courses and training that we have, where we need to make sure that people internally are properly trained on how to address the issues you're talking about right now, What something like a pronoun training and saying, hey, what happens if we do our training and people are not abiding by what our policies and procedures are? How do we go about addressing that? What are the steps we'll take, both in terms of education, but also in terms of, the next steps we need to take in terms of mandating certain things or, or putting our foot down about certain things. So I think number one, yeah, you know, we need to make sure that managers, peers, anyone within the organization understands when something's not being communicated appropriately or, or properly. But I think also there's a whole world out there, and I'm sure Tom, you're really familiar with it, about, you know, then conducting these investigations and then coming up with next steps and considerations and policies and things like that. And I think that's a part of compliance requirements and compliance training that's still a little bit underserved. States are mandating lots of training around things like gender differences, gender equality, gender sensitivity, anti-harassment, those kinds of things. But I'm not seeing a lot there from the state on how to train your senior staff, your managers, your HR department, your legal department on how to address some of these things as well. And I think that's where still a lot of work needs to be done. And I think there's, we're fortunate, I'm fortunate. I've got a good network of HR people I've worked with for years who I think know how to handle investigations and know how to come up with policies and, and next steps. But again, it's important to every organization to have that if you're really going to be able to address things like the question you brought up around, you know, pronouns not being respected properly. And how do you address making sure that that gets taken care of as quickly as possible?
1: You have a very interesting word on your website, and that word is frictionless. (laughs) And I was really intrigued by that because the concept of friction in compliance training may on the one hand be obvious. On the other hand, I'm not sure a lot of people think about that, but you guys have thought about that. And you've tried to make your solution as easy to use or as frictionless as possible. So I wanted to ask, what is friction and compliance training? And really, how have you guys addressed that?
0: That's a great question. It really touches on the audience that we tend to service. So we tend to work with a lot of employees, for lack of a better term, blue collar would be one term, people working in certain industries where they're out in the field. And the number one thing about being frictionless is, yeah, you know what? Nobody loves... Compliance training. You know, I'm in HR for 20 years and I don't love compliance training either. And that has this sort of negative connotation, negative people's perception of it. I've sat through hundreds of them and some of them are really good and some of them not so good. You know, so even if you're sitting at a desk and you're like, oh, I got my 11th email from the HR department saying, okay, if I don't complete my compliance training by the end of the week, they're going to shut off my email or whatever else it is. At your desk, so you're eating lunch one day and you're like, you know what, I'll do it now. I'm eating lunch I'll, while I'm eating my lunch, I'll, I'll do my compliance training. That's typically how some people sort of perceive it, right? I'm at my computer anyway all day, so I'll just take it when I have the time to do it. But most of our audience is out in the field. We have healthcare workers out in the field. We've got people in manufacturing, distribution, hospitality, fast food. They're out in the field. There's never a moment where they're just sitting at a computer saying, oh, yeah, while I eat my lunch, while I'm doing my work, I can also have a screen open or I can also have something open during my training. That's friction. And our goal is how for those employees who are working 10, 12-hour days or long days, how do we create a process for them where it's easy for them to complete the training? Number one, so from accessibility standpoint, that's some of the things that are standard today, mobile access, being able to do things in bite sizes, five minutes, 10 minutes here. That's something we call frictionless. And then the second part of being frictionless is around making sure that what they're doing is actually interesting. So friction comes in two ways. One is accessibility, just make it easier for people to access the training, understanding where they're coming from and who they are. And then the second part is having them actually want to complete the training. They find it interesting. They find it addresses things that are specific to them. A lot of our training will come in courses that are specific to industries that they might be in. And those two things combined are really what we talk about frictionless, that easy accessibility, but then that also the interest level that someone's going to have to actually pursue it. I want to finish in an efficient time. Our target and the number that we hit in our industry is over 90% compliance. And we know that we've created a frictionless process if we're able to address both of those, if we're able to make it easy to access, and as well, somewhat interesting for someone to actually want to go through the whole training and complete it.
1: Another thing you guys talk about on your website that, frankly, also doesn't get enough uh, discussion in compliance is cost savings. Many compliance training companies will try to say, well, if you take our training and nobody has a violation, you've saved millions of dollars, and they come up with some ROI calculation. But you flip that. Because you say, we will give you cost savings in the delivery of the solution. I was wondering if you could give a few words about that.
0: Sure. The industries that we serve, not necessarily known for being super technical. And therefore, we still encounter literally hundreds of organizations on an annual basis who are doing classroom-based training. So let's talk about the fast food industry as an example. That's an industry that we service. We're talking to franchise owners. We're talking to restaurant owners who literally will shut down their store for an hour or two hours in order to conduct that training. That's a loss of revenue. But they don't have another option because that's the only way they know how to deliver training. We're going to get somebody to come in here and deliver training for our staff. We need to shut down the store to do that. And if they have got multiple shifts, that I means several times you know, over a one-week or two-week basis when you want to get this training done, you're going to have to shut down your store and say, yeah, maybe we're supposed to be open for you know, 7 to 12 at night or 24 hours, but we're closing for an hour or two. That's what we're offering them. We're saying you no longer have to bring people into an office from out in the field. You no longer have to shut your stores. You no longer have to stop doing whatever that service that you're providing is right now in order to get this training done. And they can see that ROI right away. Just that one hour, you know, telling somebody, hey, that one hour of service that you're going to be able to continue to, to bill for, or that one hour of, of your restaurant you don't have to close for, that's an immediate ROI. So that's one that, that we're very fortunate. Again, we're in an industry that's still very much offline. So to your point, in the online world, when companies are all online, you're selling it to those companies, you're like, your ROI is reducing liability and risk and all those other things. In our world, we're saying, hey, the reducing cost is having to bring in that outside trainer and shutting down your store and the loss of revenue and then paying you know, for whatever else it is that's going on. You can move it online and you're going to see it right away. So I think our clients are pretty happy with that.
1: I mean, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time for this episode. But I was wondering, before we leave, if any of our listeners wanted any more information on yourself or showed me, where would be the best place for them to go?
0: Yeah, for me, it's. I'm always happy to have conversations around this. The easiest place to find me is on LinkedIn, Avi Singer. So I, I'll come up pretty easily. But our companies showed me S as in Sam H O W D dot M E, S H O W D dot M E. We've got people who reach out to us from all over the country and all over North America and beyond, really just trying to understand how we can help them. And there's still, you know, we find so many organizations out there that are still sort of struggling to make not only compliance training, but the education around it part of their normal training, part of their normal education. And then Always happy to have those conversations and, and help them figure it out. So Tom, thanks again for having you on. Always a great conversation with you and really appreciate it.
1: So for those who are not watching this video, because this is an audio podcast, you are missing the passion this man has around <laughs> compliance. I get training. excited about yeah. He I does about
0: that. I get excited and about compliance. It's fun. When you can yeah. get
1: someone who is as passionate as Avi is, it's only gonna help build the culture of your organization. So If you listen to this podcast, reach out to him, even to just have a conversation with him. You're going to get fired up and get lots of ideas. So, Javi, I hope we can continue this conversation again.
0: Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. If you want to stay up to date on the latest innovations in compliance and help your business run more efficiently, subscribe to this podcast and help spread the word by leaving a review.